<laughs> I've got them chanting down here, it's ridiculous. Um, it's church, calm yourself. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the uh, proper part four of the Tenacious series we've been doing. Um, so uh, this is about how we face the next 10 years of church. Uh, can I just say, if you're here this morning, you are amazing, well done. And when all those people come back when it's sunny next week, give them that look. Like, we had something really profound happen this week. Just say, put things on Facebook like, wow, glad I didn't miss church this morning. The awesome presence of God was astounding. Really make them feel bad for being warm at home. Is that all right? Just, thank you. Two of us are going to, I'm really going to ram that home today on, on Facebook. Wouldn't have missed it for anything. Right, we're going to be looking at this series, Tenacious. It's about the next 10 years. I called it Tenacious because if you're going to think about church over 10 years, oh my days. Sometimes it's difficult to think about life in the next 10 days, let alone the next 10 years. So we're going to have to be tenacious as we do this. Um, so just a reminder as to where we're going before we get cracking. It's all based around these verses. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God... You will receive what he has promised. There's going to be a little bit of emphasis on the will of God this morning because this is all about characters. That's what I want to have a little exploration about a little bit later. But the whole context of that, um, this, this sense of persevere, this tenacity, this, this, the Greek word, uponone, this cheerful, hopeful, enduring consistency. So it's not just slog and misery, there's a hope in it, there's a purpose, there's a vision there. And that's the kind of people we need to be as a church, enduring, patient, hope-filled. And look at the decade ahead, where do we begin laying foundations for that? How do we begin laying foundations for the next 10 years? What do you put in place? Uh, how do we take hold of the promises of God? Because... Who likes reading the promises of God? Does anybody like, you know, those like promise verses? Does anybody have like on their phone the promise verses they bring up? You know, so you, you eat a button and it's, it's the good things that God will do for you. Or you like turning to those certain psalms. Are there certain psalms that tell you all the good things? Do we, am I the only one that does that? You know, the, you know the really awkward bits? The bits that tell you that this is going to happen to you and you will be persecuted and bad things. You ignore all, you never read those. Just like the good stuff. Does anybody else just read the good stuff? Apparently it's just me. Okay. How do we take hold of the promises of God? Well, we do it first of all by pursuing the will of God, which is not quite as smooth as just owning the promises of God. We love the promises of God. The will of God is a different story. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore those a little bit because these are about, uh, the, the promises of God are very much about the gifting the gifting and the competencies and the abilities. The will of God is about our character. And that's, that's what I want to explore this morning just a little bit. Um, it's not an easy word to explore in a world where it's all about me and myself and I. We're in a world where the other people's will is less important because it's about me. Put your hand up if you've taken a selfie and you've done that thing where you've said, plum, plum. Is it plum that you say? Oh, Sarah, how could you possibly shake your head? What is it you say? I've tried it. I look very odd when I do it. I thought you had to say plum. Maybe that's why it went wrong. Because I've been, I've been taking selfies going plum, plum. 
I've got to tell you, I've not posted any of those pictures. Um, but it's very difficult to consider the will of God and the will of another, what somebody else desires and is calling us to and is leading us into, when we're in a world that is completely focused upon me and what I want and what I want to do. That is the nature of where we are. Even the church is more concerned with God's promises than his will. You know, so often we say, we, we pray, Lord, we want to receive your promises, but we never say, Lord, help us to fulfill your will. We tend to get the balance of these things a little bit wrong. And, you know, when we think happiness is getting exactly what we want, we're going to struggle. Especially when we think it's only what we want that counts. Because everybody wants what we want, except Neil wants something different to me. So we want, we want things. There you go, you see. We want different things, but what we want is important to me. But you see, wanting is not happiness, and we're told to pursue happiness. And many can, you know, the whole thing is the pursuit of happiness. But I've got to tell you, there is something bigger than happiness. And having things and wanting things will not make us happy. Happiness is fulfillment. Fulfillment comes from fulfilling God's will. And it's actually bigger than just happiness. It's just such a shallow word compared with fulfillment, wholeness, completeness in the will of God. It's so much bigger than just the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of doing something or having something or being somewhere is smaller than the fulfillment of the presence of God and his will being fulfilled in our lives. That's kind of where I want to go this morning. Is that all right with you? So it's about everyday tenacity. So this is great in a big kind of um, spiritual, big world sense. But how do we get hold of that in our everyday life? Over the years, I've tried really hard to go away and be spiritual. So I've never tried to think, this week I'm going to be spiritual. Anybody ever do? I, I like periodically. And it's usually on a Monday morning, I will be spiritual this morning. Through this week, I will hold on. I will be good. It's a bit like dieting. I will diet this week. I will not eat Maltesers. Tesco, giant bags, two pounds, reduced from three pounds fifty. It's a sign. The Lord has given me freedom. Over the years, I've tried really hard to be spiritual. Setting time aside from my phone. Deciding I will not use the internet this week. I'll pray instead. So whenever I was going to go on Facebook, I'll go away and pray instead. That's what I tell myself. I'll hear God. I'll fast for the whole week or till lunchtime. I'll become more Christ-like by the end of this series. That's what I'm going to do. And here's how it goes. I'll pray and after about five minutes begin repeating myself and my mind wanders. I'm just being dead honest, I, and I can, I can, I'm happy to do this because if you read things by the great preachers, people like Spurgeon and Wesley, they talk about, and I prayed and prayed, and it took me three hours before I got to the presence of God because I kept thinking about the horse needs a new saddle, and I must remember to change and polish the brass on it. His mind wandered to his horse that he rode hundreds of miles on every day or every week when he was trying to pray. And so I kind of like, that's what I do, my mind wanders. Now, I know none of you, when you pray, your minds never wander, do they? 
The minute you begin to pray, you are totally focused on the will of God, aren't you? Raise your hand if this is the truth. See, your heart wants to pray, but our minds are so full of different things. Even when I'm worshipping, I'm stood there, and I'm singing the song, and I'm suddenly thinking, I'm, con- I'm, I'm stood there this morning thinking, well, new computer seems to be working okay. I'll try to hear God, then I realize my mind has wandered. Or worse still, I do what... Can I make fun of you, Neil? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> do you know? I I'll do what Neil was doing when we were having a fantastic prayer meeting. This is a lot of years ago. It wouldn't happen now. And he fell asleep so badly, he snored, jumped back, and I butted the wall. That was the funniest thing in the world. We ended the prayer meeting there. There was no point trying to continue after that, because the whole place just erupted. I tried to fast, and all I can think about is food. It's like, I'll eat a massive meal and say, right, after this meal I'm going to fast. Within 30 seconds I'm starving. What is that? All I can contemplate is chocolate. I'll become disappointed with myself and not more Christ-like. It's just the reality of what we are as people. We are, you know, we are genuinely, Scripture describes, the Bible describes us uh, as being these like jars of, of clay. That's what the Bible calls us. But we've got a treasure within. My problem is this jar of clay is like proper basic. It really is a basic jar. It's like I am so Tupperware. I want to be holy. This was taken, this is the real me when you're not looking. And, and, and uh, uh, one of these paparazzi saw me walking through the, the train station and, and I, he just caught me in my super holy moment where I was, there was a radiant glow about me and that's, that's who I am when I'm not here. I tone it down so I don't overwhelm you. Because <laughs> I was at Harry Potter, all right. <laughs> And I forgot to take it off the picture. <laughs> I may be in less than spiritual at that moment. <laughs> See, that's the reality. You try to be spiritual and all the time you've got a wand in your hand. That kind of sums up my life, that. I've got a dream of being dead spiritual, but really I'm just a mess. <laughs> it's about character. It's about character at the end of the day. The whole of the Christian life is about character, and yet we make it all about gifts and promises. But it's actually about who we are in Christ, growing up into unity and maturity. So let's have a look at these scriptures and get rid of that terrible picture. So Christ himself gave the apostles. This is a letter to a church in Ephesus. So it's a long time ago, but... but um, writing to a church there to encourage them and to teach them and to inspire them. These words were written. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. What I've realized is that character is intended to be worked out in real life. 
Character isn't something you just have on a Sunday morning. Character is something to be worked out in our real everyday life. The word mature, the Greek word teleos, means to labor towards a complete and full character, a complete full character. But there's a sense of laboring towards it, working, investing in it, taking time to change this character, this person. You know, Scripture says in, in, in Romans, the letter to the Roman church in the Bible, it says, having your mind renewed, this thinking bit changes, our character shifts in God. We need to build our character long before we strive for our competency. Character is more important than competency. I put competency, I hope that's all right, because it just sounds better than gift and it rhymes better, okay? Character and competency sounds better than character and gift. So when I say competency this morning, I mean gift. Is that all right? <laughs> Preacher's license. Competency is where people see us. Character is where people see Christ. Just let it process that a minute, just process it process it. Competency is where people see us. Character is where people see Christ. It is so important to get this right. You see, some of the most competent gifted people I know, if their character is broken, it will distort what they do. It won't endure. So our character will shine through. People will know you for who you are more than what you do. It's just the truth. They may be impressed for a time about what you do, but it's who you are that matters. So at work, your character will be the thing that's recognized. If you're a surgeon, I've got to be honest, I don't want competency, not just character. You know, if you're operating on me, make sure. If, Julie, if I go into hospital, can you just make sure that I want you to have a great character, but if he's got the worst character in the world, make sure he knows how to scalpel. All right? Thank you. In the car, your character will shine through. Anybody here like to confess that their character shines through in the car? The true you? I don't mean, because, you know, I think in the car, the person you really are shines through. Your true character is revealed. It's really funny driving with Robert. Because when you're driving with Robert, I don't know where he gets it from, but... Every other person on the road is a moron and a cretin. <laughs> doesn't it, doesn't it, and it, does he shout out moron and cretin? I, not so much when the kids are in the car. I mean, I don't know where he gets it from. I just Maybe I did shout it out when my kids were in the car. It could be learned behaviour. Over the garden fence. You know, the truth is on your street, your neighbours will know your character more than your gift. In your parenting, as I've just said. Your character more than gift will shine through. You know, I, there's so many things I could say that of. I am competent at many things. I am genuinely, I'm competent at many things. But I can often fail in those things because of my character. I am, you know, this is not a brag thing. I am good at a lot of things. But the thing that makes them fail so often is the person. Technically, I can do things well. But do I always? No matter how competent I may be, it's my character that determines the delivery of that competence. So, I might have a title and think I'm competent, but the title I may have is hollow if the character isn't solid. I 
just died. That's the one. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now you know and I know, if I had the kind of faith that could walk up to a mountain and say, Snowden, move from there to there, you would make me leader of the church. You'd probably make me leader of the free world. But if I have no character, it is of no worth. You see, it's interesting, isn't it, in those verses, there is a huge amount of competency and gift being described, prophetic, miraculous in languages, in word, in awareness, in power, but it's nothing if the person isn't transformed. It's, you know, all of that stuff falls by the wayside in the face of God anyway, who you are. You see, here's the deal, and here's one of the biggest challenges that I face as a, as a church leader, but as, as just as a person, when you're connecting with other people, working with other people, around people, is that, see, competency gets you in the room. Competency gets you noticed. Competency gets you in the room, but character keeps you there. Character keeps you there. Competency gets you in. Character keeps you in. See, we can be impressed by what you can do, but if your heart isn't right, you will not sustain it. Your relationships will break. Your connections will not last so we must be tenacious in our desire to invest in the character, to become more like Christ. And you know, that's the bottom line of Scripture. We're encouraged to become more like Christ. For our lives to be, the Bible says to have our lives hidden in Christ, to clothe ourselves with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ. It's interesting that the Bible talks about this stuff and encourages this stuff in us all the time. And Paul actually says, oh, I wish you got all of these different gifts. I wish you could all prophesy, but you know what? We've got to be learning to carry the character of Christ first. Character is who we are. Competency is what we do. It's just a gift. It's just a title. Let me explain in a human sense with spiritual kind of outworking. Um, all the gear but no idea. You've heard the phrase before, haven't you? All the gear but no idea. And it's absolutely true of any hobby, wherever you go, the person that is the most incompetent will have all the best equipment. It's just the truth. Um, if a workman comes to your house and he's got all the best, brand new, amazing gear, just send him away. You don't want him near your house. He's just overcompensating for his lack of capacity. You just don't want him there. You, you, like, you see photographers, like, with gear. I see runners with these latest running shoes that have been on TV that can make you 4% faster because the pogo sticks fitted in the bottoms of them. Uh, you can buy an amazing fast sports car, but it doesn't make you a good driver. You can buy an amazing guitar. You could spend £10,000 on a guitar. Actually, you're a decent guitarist, so you know, in fairness, you'd make it sound amazing. <laughs> But if I buy a £10,000 guitar, it does not make me a great guitarist. It means I own a £10,000 guitar and I'm probably fairly foolish for buying it. 
See, it's not about the gift. It's not about the possession. It's about the person. Who are you? You can see it with hobbies and pastimes and interests. Character is everything. You know, right now, me with hobbies, oh my days, I've got hobbies coming out my ears. So right now, if the kids bought me for Father's Day last year, a model aeroplane, which I'm still building. I am still building it. I have begun two paintings, which I am still painting. I've not finished them yet. Um, I've begun restoring a motorbike last year, which I've not finished yet. I've begun decorating the bedroom, which I've not started yet. <laughs> All of these things tell me I have these things, but it's the character, it's the perseverance, it's the decision, it's the tenacity to continue. It's the person that will see them done. I can buy all the paint in the world for the bedroom, but if it's sat on the table, it ain't on the walls. Yeah, all right, don't rub it in. <laughs> for those that didn't hear, Julie's just pointing out, it's still in the shop. <sighs> if I had a rug, it would have just been pulled. It's true in our walk with God. We have to be tenacious in our pursuit of Christ's character. You know, so often people come to me as, as one of the church leaders, and I'm sure the other leadership in church and connect group leaders find this. Why is this not working in my life? But I've done this, and I've done that, and I've got this, and I've got that, and I've been here, and I've been there. You know, the bottom line is it's about our walk with Christ. It's about a relationship. It's about my character being conformed to his. It's not about the things you do. You, you might be the best juggler in the world. But God's interested in who you are. And it's not an easy path. Um, so look at this one. Um, oh, actually, I'll go back to that one. Sorry. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, is this funny verse about the narrow path. And it says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Have you heard that verse before? It's not one we're like preaching on. It's one that like you get on scary leaflets saying, become a Christian on the narrow path, as opposed to the wide path. And, and because I'm human, I always think, well, the wide path looks a lot more fun. It's just true, isn't it? Am I, am I the only Christian that ever looks at those leaflets and thinks to myself, the narrow path is rocky. And when I'm a little kid, they made me sing a song in Sunday school, when the road is rough and steep and full of boulders and you're miserable and you've got blisters on your feet and it's all hideous, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then somebody would say to me, this is Jesus that's invisible, the unseen God. Yeah, it's really hard to fix your eyes on him. This is the workings of a six, seven-year-old, bear in mind. And then they'd say, because alternatives will go down this wide path and you'll have fun and adventures and enjoy yourself. <laughs> but at the end of the day, and I'm just thinking, I'm seven. I know which is most appealing. <laughs> and as an adult, the reality is, see, we always think it's about becoming a Christian or not. But those verses are so much more than just whether I become a Christian or don't become Christian. It's about the life I'm prepared to live. It's about what I'm prepared to put aside. It's about my character becoming more full, about what I believe. So um, 
here's a, a, an easier way to understand that from the message version. It's, it's accurate, it's, it's right, it's just in more easy, accessible English. Here is a simple rule of thumb, guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to live to God is vigorous and requires total attention. There's everything under the sun that says, do this and it will fix this. Do that, it will fix that. It won't. Because ultimately, the only thing that, that builds us and releases into being who we're called to be, any human being on this planet it can only be fulfilled in Christ. And I can never water that down because all roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's it. Bottom line. End of. For all the good people and all the good things and all the nice things, it's not about doing good or being good. It's about, do I know Jesus? That's the bottom line. Am I allowing my character to become like his? It's not about the narrow path of being good and earning heaven. You cannot earn eternal life. You cannot earn, earn that. That's not the gospel. It's about the generosity and grace and goodness of God that allows us to connect with him. It's completely about who we are, our character in Christ. What Jesus means here is that on the other side of trusting him and becoming a Christian, there's a different life. When we get to know and become a Christian, there's a different life. So all the hobbies and interests and all the things we did before, they can continue in many respects. But they've all got to be subject now to Christ. They all belong to him first. Everything about us belongs to him first. It's a reshaping of who we are, our character, the renewing of your mind. This is full on, isn't it, this morning? It's meant to be fun. This is proper full on. I do apologize. Hey, but you came. I didn't make you come here. You chose to come here this morning. I'm on a right rant. So I think you're really good and lovely people. I'm not like, like pointing finger and saying that you're not good enough. I mean, you're not, because none of us are. But in God, we can be. Your changing character is not how you get saved. It's a response to being saved. Listen to that again. Your changing character is not how you get saved. It's a response to being saved. Your changing character doesn't mean God loves you. Because God loves you and connects with you, it allows your character to change. It's a place where God's will is worked out first in your character. Our new focus as Christians becomes the deep work of God transforming us and recreating us in our real everyday life that only you and God know. You know, there are some things, no matter how good your relationships are with other people, no matter what the closest person may say or do, there are some things only you know. And the Lord knows. That's the real character stuff. That's the real heart of it. That's who you actually are. Our character being transformed from the inside out matters. So I, I want to say in the next 10 years, we've got an adventure in this stuff. This is an adventure. It begins. You know, we're at the start of something exciting this next 10 years. What could be? If we learn to walk well before God, if we allow to submit what we are as individuals, if we actually give that to God, if that's what we submit to him, if that's how we worship him with what we are, what could the next 10 years be? Where could God take us? What change could that make? What impact could that have? 
What influence could that have for the good news of who Jesus is? Who might be reached and touched? What salvation might we see? What positive influence for good in the Lord might we have? It's every inch Jesus saying, okay, now you're a follower of mine. We're just beginning the adventure, just getting started. It's a discipleship journey. It's an apprenticeship. And it's not easy, but are you up for it? It's not going to be easy, but are you up for it? That's the narrow path. But you know what? There are some things you do, and only a handful of you know what it feels like. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm sorry to, to bang on about this, but you, you know, like, I'm a fat bloke that runs marathons. But it's a pain trainer. I've just worked out how many hours of marathon training I'm going to have to do this year to get back into shape, to get the weight off, to get fit enough, to get over the line in a reasonable time. And it's like 10 hours for every hour on the course, minimum, out training, plus gym, plus swimming. It's like shed loads of daft hours. But you know what? There's nothing like crossing that line. There's nothing like running the race. There's nothing like it. And that's just a daft thing. That's just a daft thing. So what is it like running God's race? Here's the deal. When we're tenacious in our pursuit of Christ, our character becomes like his. We step into beginnings of God's will. The easy option is to pursue competency and gift and title and recognition. But the hard thing is to submit our character to Christ. If we only pursue competency, we retain being judgmental, envious, frustrated, angry, divisive, immature. All of those things can still exist in the most gifted person. It's the character that changes them. If you have just gifted no character, it's like having a house without foundation. And we know what happens when a storm comes. You can be competent without Christ, but that has no foundation. So, I said before, people are tenacious in what they pursue, whether it be for God or against God. People are just generally tenacious about what they hold on to. They can be tenacious about holding on to illness, or hurt, or anger, or love, or generosity. We are fundamentally tenacious people. We just have to set that onto Christ and pursue him. 1 Peter 1, chapter 17, verse 17 says this, Be holy because I am holy. That's Jesus' words. Be holy because I am holy. So be like me. Be the person I am. What I am is who you can become, is what Christ says to us. So how do we pursue this character? Three really quick thoughts to just land this and finish this, and they are very quick thoughts. Number one, take personal responsibility. Take personal responsibility in your pursuit of your Christ character. Get past blaming your circumstances and situations, even your history or other people. If not, we are saying that all of those things are stronger than the love of God. I can't be like Christ because this happened to me. You know what? The love of God is bigger. The love of God, the cross is sufficient. If we're not saying those things are uh, if we're not if we're saying those things are too strong, then we're saying God isn't strong enough. And and I know categorically, the Lord is enough. Own who you are, own everything you are, and then give it to God. Not be quick; it's a lifetime journey, but we've got to begin. So own own the situation, make it personal, but then personally give it to the Lord. Let Him own it. You can change job, you can change location, you can change your partner, you can change any aspect of your life. But if you don't change your character, you will change nothing. If you don't surrender who you are to Christ, you will change nothing. You will still compromise. Is that all right? 
wow, this is proper full on in your face. Yeah, I, I didn't, I, when I wrote it, I was quite excited. Now I feel like, oh, I'm really facey. Number two, walk the talk. Walk the talk. It's a social life, social media revelation these days out there. The truth will out. There is no hiding. It's a revolution, social media. Oh, I love it. You see, in the olden days, you could have hidden. Now you can't help yourself. You're addicted and you put it all out there. 60%, this is from a genuine survey, 60% of people lie if you're with them for more than 10 minutes. 60% of people lie if you're with them for more than 10 minutes. 100% of people, 100% of people lie on social media. Fact. Apart from me. When we value competency over character, that's, in other words, when we value how we look over character, we make excuses. We fake it. We present an image. We exaggerate things. You know, that's, that's a posh word for lie. We are economical with the full truth, which is another posh way of saying lie. We embellish and extrapolate lie. Look, I, I'm not calling you all liars anymore. I'm calling myself a liar. However, <laughs> we all exaggerate. We all present an image. We all like to be seen in a certain light, in a certain way. And the truth is, it's not entirely honest, is it? It's different to setting out to hurt people. I get that. A lot of it is about self-preservation, self-protection, and wanting to be loved and wanting to be recognized. Actually, you know what? Just be open and vulnerable. Just be who you genuinely are, and people will love that. Because the Lord loves that. The Lord loves who you are, and he knows anyway. Right now, I'm trying really hard to be sure that if I say it publicly, I can demonstrate it privately. And it's really hard. It is really hard that if I'm saying something publicly, I'm really trying hard to be sure that I could demonstrate it privately. If the police came and did the CSI forensic thing on my life, they'd be able to say, actually, what Paul said in public was the reality, which is why I'm prepared to say when I get it wrong, you know, about falling asleep and I pray and things like that. I, I just want to be completely real with you. As I'm seeking to do that, I'm so aware of all I'm doing and saying. Just in conversations, I will catch myself and think, ooh, you might need to change the next sentence because that's not entirely accurate, Paul, is it? Not that I'm lying, it's just like you're trying to smooth conversations, you're trying to make it easy, trying to be nice to people, you're trying to be seen in a certain light, and you know what we all do all the time. I've never felt a greater need for the Holy Spirit than I do right now to empower my life for living. Acts 1, chapter 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Dunamis. The word there can be used for an ability, an abundance, a meaning, a might, a miracle, power, violence, or tenacity. A wonderful work in your life. We need the Holy Spirit to be honestly who we actually are. To be open and honest about who we are, we need the Holy Spirit. It's a massive Holy Spirit shifting character that releases our competency in Christ. It allows us to stop justifying ourselves and allows us to receive His justification. Can I just give you that one again? It allows us to stop justifying ourselves and allows us to receive his justification. We've got to learn to live in his justification and stop proving ourselves. We can't prove ourselves. 
We can only prove Christ. We can only recognize him. That is our authentic living, connecting real people to real God in real life. To do less than that is to make it harder for people to find Jesus. They've got to think they've got to be a certain way, walk a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way, otherwise they can't receive Jesus. You know what? Exactly as they are, they can come to him. And then he begins the great work. Third and final thing before the band come back in a moment's time. In fact, you can come back if you want, guys. Take the time. Third thing, take the time. Character is about what goes in and what we choose to do with it. Pray. Read the Bible. Learn. You know, I never hear God. I never feel, well, pray. I can never hear God speaking to me. Read your Bible. Learn. Get near to those who stretch you more than those who just affirm you. I'm going to throw that one at you again. Get near to those that stretch you more than to those who simply affirm you. Oh, I've got to tell you pastorally. Oh, the biggest issue I face are people that affirm one another. I'm just going to leave that one floating out there. I'm much more excited about people that stretch and encourage and inspire others rather than those that simply affirm. Never strive for title or position, but for the person you are called to be in Christ. The other stuff is just up to the Lord. Walk well before God. Be the person he's calling you to be. And all of the other stuff, the titles and the position and the gifting, all that stuff can follow if it's God's choice. What you're called to do is be like Christ, to serve. Let's intentionally set time aside with God and seek him. Let's set time aside with his people to serve them and to learn from them. Let's be humble so when we are with God's people, we're not there just to tell them what's what, but we're there simply to serve and to love. Let's be Holy Spirit aware of walking the walk on a Monday morning. Because this is all about laying a foundation for 10 years. This is all about laying a foundation. So a, a little boy that's been carried about at the back of a tiny baby will soon be a 10-year-old, and we want him to be in an amazing church where he's loved and surrounded by friends. A church that inspires him where he can see who the Lord is. Where one day it's an Easter Sunday morning we baptise him. How amazing would that be? Let it impact your social media. Dead serious this week. Make a commitment this week that who you are as a Christian will impact your social media comments. Your conversation. Your encouragement, not condemnation. Speak well of others. Prefer one another. All things the Bible says. Tenacity in those things will lay such a solid foundation that this decade will be transformed by Christ. If we can get this everyday walking right in God, if we can submit who we are to Jesus, it will change our decade, but it will change this church over the decade, and that can change this town over this decade. See, I don't want to inspire this morning by amazing works and miracles and food banks and all these great things that we do. This is about our walk with God. That's where we'll begin to find the will of God that will release the promises of God. So the promises of God over this town are for salvation and transformation. They're for a gathering of his people. They're for an empowering of his people. They're for an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. They're all the promises of God that there is a promised land. There's a new day coming. But where does that begin? By obeying the will of God. And that is about the character. That is about his heart and head aligning itself with Jesus Christ.
And so we're going to sing a final song this morning. We're going to close our time of worship um, with this song. And then we're going to mingle and have coffee and chat and have conversation. And in that coffee and chat and conversation, your character will come out. Who you are will come out. Let's, let's try and submit that to Christ. On Monday morning, let's try and give all of this stuff to Christ. Let's walk the Jesus kind of walk. Let's start submitting it to God. Not trying to impress people, but serve the Lord. There's a huge difference. And so, Lord, we, we are just ordinary people. Let's just pray to you, Lord. We are ordinary people. And we pray now that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. That you will empower us for life. So that our character is transformed. And then when our character is transformed, you can begin to release real competency to us. Real gifting, to release your promise. But Lord, it's your will that we want first. Your, your will. Your way. Not our desires, not our wants, but your will. Lord, if we walk in that, we are blessed people. Lord, if we walk in your will, we have everything for life. We have all we need for eternity. And we will count ourselves a blessed people with abundant lives and full lives, with opportunity and potential, with possibility. Lord, we submit what we are to you. Submit this church to you in all its strengths and weaknesses, in its successes and its ailments, in its wins and its losses, in its different characters and approaches. Lord, this is who we are and we give it to you now, Lord. And we say, would you take it as our act of worship? Would you receive who we are? And would you justify us? Would you wrap yourself around us? Would you transform us and build us and release us? Would you lay a foundation that brings your glory? So, Lord, as we live, people see Christ. It's you that we make famous, Lord. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's worship. Let's sing. Let's submit what we are to God. Let's carry this. Let's carry this, not just by coming to the front, but let's carry this in reality in our everyday life.